0: Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Harris, and joining me for this episode is Rocket Pharmaceuticals CEO, Dr. Gaurav Shah. Dr. Shah and I are going to talk all about not only Rocket's gene therapies for rare diseases, but we're also going to spend some time on the FDA's clinical holds, reaching protocol agreements, and a lot more than that, too. Uh, but first, I want to thank Gaurav for sharing his time and for being here with us. It's a pleasure to have you borough. Thanks for being here.
1: It's great to be here, Aaron. And I look forward to a, a fun talk.
0: Good, good. Me too. All right, so let's jump right in. So Rocket develops gene therapies for rare diseases and its platform is agnostic. So explain to us not only the rare diseases that Rocket seeks to treat, but also talk us through a little bit about your platform being agnostic and why
1: behind it. Great. So first of all, Rocket is a gene therapy company. And just to say something about the the vision, our vision has always been very simple. Four words, seeking gene therapy cures. Now, we always thought that when we get to a point where the, the therapies are actually curing patients, even if it's early, that we would cross out the word seeking and just say the vision is gene therapy cures. I think we're close to that point, uh, especially given some of the results that we're seeing in diseases like leukocyte adhesion deficiency one, which I'm happy to go through in a little bit, but these are not uh, medicines or therapeutics. These are cures. And uh, in some cases, children who otherwise would pass away early in life end up living a normal life. We've already seen that in SMA1 Uh, with some good degree of follow-up. We're starting to see that in diseases like LAD1 here at Rocket and hopefully many, many more to come. And it's with that clinical end game in mind that we picked our diseases and the unmet uh, need areas where we focus our work. So that's why we're platform agnostic. We're starting with the disease in mind, whether it's SMA1, which is from Avexis and now Novartis, LAD1, which is our program, other programs like and disease and Fanconi anemia, which are are under our umbrella, we think about diseases where, number one, we can be potentially first and even only in class because you want to do things the right way. Drug development takes time. Number two, where there's uh, a true unmet need, and we can get it to a clinical endpoint relatively quickly because of a clean and clear mechanism of action. And number three, where there's a sizable uh, enough a number of patients that we can continue to Justify growth and sort of uh, be beholden to multiple stakeholders around the table, which is necessary in growing a biotech company from the start. So, based on those points, we seek diseases where we can potentially have curative therapies. The platform is then laid on top of that. We use enabled technologies like ex vivo lenti, like AAV, to overlay onto these diseases. I'm a physician by background the founders of this company are also healthcare providers. That's just how we think about things. It's a little bit different from the platform-based gene therapy approaches uh, that we see elsewhere, which are also um, highly valuable, but this is how we've we've uh, decided to approach things.
0: Good. Good. Okay. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the meat of why we're here, which is to get to the reason behind the clinical holds that have and are sometimes set forth by the FDA. Our listeners have been uh, privy to this and have kind of gone through it themselves. So I thought this would be a, a good thing to talk through. Um, and they happen for various reasons. And I wanted to get your take on why gene therapy developers have been sort of plagued by clinical faults.
1: So I think it's, it's a great question. And I think gene therapy is now maturing as a field. it's, it's not uh, We're not in the honeymoon phase anymore. These, in many cases, have shown promise in terms of being potentially curative or curative. And uh, in other cases, there are questions because you see modest efficacy and you see toxicities. And most meaningful therapies have risks and side effects, and gene therapy is no exception. I used to work on CAR-T for pediatric ALL Pediatric ALL was a disease where without, after a couple of transplants, the mortality rate was near 100%. That's the end of the road. CAR-T had efficacy in that patient population that was between 80 and 90% in the early days, and two-thirds of those patients did not have relapse long-term, at least in the original uh, academic-based trial. However, around the first or second week, these patients hit something called cytokine release syndrome which ended up putting a lot of patients in the ICU. The therapy got approved anyway, because the alternative to CRS is death from cancer very, very soon. Gene therapies are no different from that. Without treatment with gene therapy, patients with Danone disease, especially who are nearing their end of life, which tends to be unfortunately in the late teenage years for boys, have no other option except our transplant, which isn't always available and also doesn't always work, or death. So the toxicities that we're dealing with for a lot of these gene therapies, we think are important to address. We're at the time that we should address them, and um, and but they will be worked through. I have no doubt because the risk benefit profile supports gene therapy across multiple types of diseases. So the clinical holds are coming at an expected time as the field matures. Um, and we're not surprised by them, and we think that uh, we'll be able to work through them both with the FDA and other regulators in the near-to-medium term.
0: Good, good. Okay. Um, a little bit more on the FDA, specifically around some of the really good committees that, are, uh, that exist in the sector, specifically Cellular Tissue and Gene Therapies Advisory Committee, or CTGTAC. Um and I wanted to talk through some of the outcomes of that committee um, and as they will affect 2022 and even a little bit beyond. And we're talking about, of course, you know, the a, its AAB focus. So talk to us through the takeaways, but specifically as they impact the sector in 2022.
1: So first of all. There were no surprises coming out of the meeting. Rocket has had dialogue with the FDA around the Dan and disease clinical trial and the hold, which we had for three months. And we put together in deep collaboration with the FDA what we think is a robust plan for mitigating some of the issues that we discussed in the meeting. So everything we saw in the actual ad board was consistent with those discussions, so there were no surprises for us coming out of the meeting. And In, in some ways, you could call it a non-event for the industry. Other uh, other companies had also gone on clinical hold. Uh, the SMA program for uh, intrathecal administration had gone on hold, as had others in, in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Many of those companies, by the time of the ad board, had already had their hold lifted. So in many ways, it was an after event, Uh, and I I don't want to say it a non-event, but an after event, and the FDA had a chance to share the learnings across multiple companies with an advisory committee, socialize them with the advisory committee, and and share them with with the world. Um, And I think at the end of the day, the outcome was that it all depends on on disease-specific and um, therapy or vector-specific risk benefit. It's different case by case. Every program is comp- is different. Every company is different. Every company, every sorry, every disease and uh, program within a company is different. Danon is not the same as Fanconi. Is not the same as LED one. Right. So general guidance is very difficult. And I think what the take home there was that we evaluate programs on a case by case basis and really work together with FDA to set guardrails to optimize safety as we explore efficacy.
0: Good, good. Thank you for that explanation. That was really helpful. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the recently formed Bespoke Gene Therapy Consortium. Talk us through that. What is it? And what is its potential impact, would you say? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, the consortium is, I think, promising for the field. And I think ultimately, it's going to result in an increasingly large number of gene therapies coming to patients with rare diseases, not just clinically, but commercially. It's $76 million over five years to drive research, uh, manufacturing, and also standardized methods such as analytics um, for gene therapies and even for preclinical testing. I've known Peter Marks for uh, a while. Actually, he was my attending when I was at the Brigham, Um, had a chance to learn from him then um had a chance to be on some panels with them here as well. The the bespoke consortium has been in in development for some time and I was very, very happy to see it come through. Uh, some of the gene therapy companies that are represented in the consortium are colleagues of mine personally. Um, and we often have open and collaborative discussions with, with some of them. And unless it's limited because of a direct competitive reason, which in the case of Rocket, because we're only in class that doesn't exist. There's a general openness to share learnings. Uh, you know, the word gene and generosity have the same root, and it goes back several thousand years to Proto-Indo-European, a word called gene, G-E-N-E, which means to beget. It's the right to beget a healthy offspring. So the gene and generosity have the same root, and I believe that for gene therapies to really get, get to the next level, we have to be generous with our knowledge you know, in a in a practical way, in a non-competitive way with others in the field. And I think the Bespoke Consortium represents exactly that.
0: Yeah, good. I agree. We, um, all, pretty much all of the, the SME guests that I get to talk to, excuse me, on the podcast, echo the sentiment you just stated, which is, you know, to share and collaborate versus kind of hold for yourself all the information which is great um i want to move on to some really exciting information which is your pipeline so talk to us about rocket's pipeline and what we can expect kind of here in the short term
1: right so we have you had started the question with being platform agnostic and why so we have two platforms right now we may have more in the future but the two platforms that we completely uh, support and are 100% behind are ex vivo lentiviral therapy and then in vivo AAV therapy in the ex vivo lentiviral therapy we have several programs the lead ones are fanconia anemia which is a bone marrow derived disorder leads to uh, loss of bone marrow stem cells and bone marrow failure by the age of 10 in most patients very devastating disease we have leukocyte adhesion deficiency which is um, a disease of neutrophils. Neutrophils cannot leave the blood vessels and fight infections because of the lack of a surface protein called CD18, which we can replace with gene therapy. These patients die very young in most cases of overwhelming infections. Um, and, and another, you know, defines the word devastating for me. Um, and then those two, Fanconi anemia and LAD1, are actually in registration enabling trials in um, agreement with FDA and EMA. Sort of globally harmonized. Uh, a third one called pyruvate kinase deficiency is currently in phase one. This is a disorder of red cell destruction because of a defect in the pyruvate kinase pathway, which with gene therapy we can correct um, completely. We're, we can talk about those results in a little bit. Um, those are the m- main programs in the lentiviral program. You actually, lenti, what that means is that you remove. Stem cells from a patient's bone marrow, and you treat those stem cells with gene therapy, with, with a vector, sorry, a vector called a lentiviral vector. And that vector inserts a corrected version of the gene back into the stem cells, and then you reinfuse those stem cells back into the patient. So that's why it's called ex vivo outside the body. The in vivo program is called Dannon disease. This is a monogenic. Uh, disease that leads to heart failure in almost all patients. It's X-linked. It's boys more than girls. Boys tend to die, unfortunately, uh, around the age of 19 or 20 without a heart transplant. Uh, Girls and women live longer into their 40s because it's X-linked. That is an in vivo AAV9 approach where we infuse the vector directly into the bloodstream, and that vector loves the heart. AAV9 loves the heart. It goes to the heart directly and inserts the corrected gene directly into the heart instead of outside. That's why it's called in vivo, inside the body AAV therapy. That's our pipeline. Dan Dan is also in a phase one trial right now, and we hope to move toward phase two uh, very soon.
0: Very good. I want to make sure we cover, uh, you mentioned getting to results in in a little bit, and I want to make sure we can cover that if you'd like. Um, Are you able to share any results with us at this time?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, at Ash, just earlier this week, we presented data in the three ex vivo Lenti programs that are uh, that have clinical results. Um, we think that really pushed the lentiviral field forward in a big way. Uh, first of all, in Fanconi anemia, we disclosed that we have treated eleven patients, eleven out of twelve that are needed for the trial. Um, out of those eleven. Seven of them have been followed for at least one year, and of those seven patients, six patients are showing what we would call evidence of a chimeric marrow, meaning that the marrow now has a mix of gene-corrected cells and old native disease cells. And when you get above 10% of chimeric marrow and anemia, we have evidence that we've shared with the FDN and EMA that shows that these patients no longer um, go into bone marrow failure, uh, or at least do so with very reduced rate. And these patients do not get leukemia. We don't see cases of leukemia with chimeric marrow. So our patients that we've treated and followed for at least one year, but in in some cases up to two years, show between 16 and 63% chimeric marrow. In other words, in in some patients, up to 63% uh, of their cells are normal gene-corrected cells. So if you put this bone marrow side-by-side with the normal non-Fanconi marrow, uh, in some cases, you would see almost no difference. So that was what we thought. We thought that that was pretty meaningful for the field, especially because these therapy in anemia does not require conditioning. It does not require chemotherapy. So you can give the gene therapy directly over the course of a year or two. The marrow corrects. The gene therapy corrects the marrow without chemotherapy. So the upside is large. You can prevent bone marrow failure and leukemia. The downside is pretty low. The safety profile here is very positive. So we showed those data at ASH. Um, There are, in my understanding, a large number of FANCONI patients who would like to have gene therapy as a way to prevent the need for bone marrow transplant, which they would have to have later in life. That's that's number one. LAD1, which I mentioned earlier, is the most devastating disease I think that we deal with. Um, Two-thirds of patients with LAD1 pass away by the age of two because they can't fight infections. And our trial has now enrolled nine patients. Eight of these have been followed for at least three months, um, and in some cases up to 24 months as well. And these patients now demonstrate between 26 and 87% correction of the of, uh, CD18 expression. So while they started out with less than 2%, they're now between 26 and 87% in fact, the median is around fifty percent. These patients, and their range, the age ranges from five months to four years, with one exception of a nine-year-old who is an outlier. These patients are infection-free of led one type infections, which are gingivitis and uh, fungal pneumonias and these very severe uh, hospital requiring infections. Um, they are in many cases going back to school, back to work. There was. Uh, one girl who thought that you know, her dream was to uh, drive around the country when she becomes sixteen, and she came to our rare disease day last year, and she said, "You know what? I think I can make that trip now."
0: That's wonderful.
1: Uh, so, so this is these are this is truly life changing. The third Lenti program that we presented at ASH was pyruvate kinase deficiency. These patients are the severe patients have a hemoglobin at seven at baseline. Two of our patients that we treated had a hemoglobin of seven at baseline. By month three, their hemoglobin had doubled to 14 and so remained at that range uh, for one year now. So these patients were going in for transfusions very, very frequently. They had lost their spleens, had iron overload. Um, and some of these patients end up with liver, net, liver damage, not the patients that we treated, but others. And we think that this is equally curative Or potentially curative, just like LED one and potentially Fanconi anemia. Um, So the ASH data really revealed the power and importance of the lentiviral platform as we move forward. And the last one is Danon disease. And in terms of what we can do while existing on this earth, I think the ability to impact heart failure in a a meaningful way. Heart disease is the number one cause of mortality in the U.S. And to be able to impact uh, a heart. Disease without the use of medical devices or surgery in a curative way is game-changing, not just for the field but for the species, right? Um, and in Danon disease, we, which is a you know, like I said, a very severe heart failure syndrome, especially in boys, um, it's characterized by enlarging hearts over time. The largest heart on record in the history of, of uh, humanity that we know of is a Danon heart. A Danon patient's heart is the largest heart ever recorded. And these are patients whose heart thickens over time uh, because of the presence of vacuoles. Uh, In Danon disease, these vacuoles cannot be cleaned up because the vacuum cleaner, the cells is missing the on switch. The on switch is called LAMP2. And the gene therapy replaces a LAMP2, so you can turn on the vacuum cleaner and potentially normalize the hearts. What we found and presented at the, uh, at AHA in November was a couple of things that four patients who had um, who were appropriately treated um, and three at a low dose and one at a high dose, we were showing in either stabilization or improvement in NYHA class from two to one. Uh, that was seen in three patients, uh, three out of four. We saw shrinking of the heart the actual posterior wall thickness of the left ventricle shrank between 10 and 40%. And we saw drops in biomarkers like uh, brain natriuretic peptide, BNP, which is a marker of heart failure. We also saw stabilizations or improvements in functional outcomes like six-minute walk tests. In fact, in the three patients that we know were closely monitored for steroid use, you need to give steroids to prevent transplant rejection, just like you would for any other transplant. Gene therapy at the end of the day is a transplant because you're introducing new material into the body, and you gotta you have to get the body used to it with the use of steroids or other immunosuppressants. So, in the three patients who were treated with steroids, in fact, you see improvements in NYHA class, marked reductions in BNP, and marked reductions in wall thickness. So, these patients are now between the age of 19 and 22, at an age that they should be moving toward heart transplant or or in worst cases death. But in in fact, what what's actually happening is that one of these boys is, is out getting a job now because he feels better than ever. Um, and uh, another person is now applying to college. Oh, wow. Right. So th- the numbers are small. And, and I'm not saying that this is uh, a home run yet. But if we can continue to show these sorts of results in a larger phase two trial, uh, we can also show these results in pediatrics. We just started the pediatric cohort a couple of months ago, which is going well then I think we have um, the potential to have the first, I'll always say the word potential, potentially curative gene therapy for any heart disease.
0: Uh, that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, the results you've shared today are not only impactful, but they are very, very promising. So, and that this is wonderful, wonderful news. And the stories behind them are just so moving. So, Continue on with the great work you're doing, and please, I hope you'll come back and share with us additional positive results as you have them.
1: Absolutely, would love to when the time is right. And and we, we in 2022, I do want to say that um, the Fanconian LED1 program uh, we hope will move toward what we call type line a uh, top line data, which means data that we can start putting together for a registration and a Dannon, we hope that we're able to move toward a, a pivotal study in 2022 as well. So those will be additional uh, talking, you know, discussion or conversations that we can have in the future. Aaron.
0: Good, good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we've reached the end of our formal question set. Uh, and so at the end of every episode, I'm, going to ask you what I ask all of my other guests, uh, which is to kind of determine who they are outside of the office and or the lab. And so that is to talk us through what you like to do on a Saturday.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's funny you ask. So um, before I was in medicine or drug development or science, uh, I'm a musician, first and foremost. And uh, I, I grew up obsessed with Indian classical music. Um, it's, it's what I think about most of the day to, to, you know, when I'm not thinking about, um, science and medicine and certainly on Saturdays, um, and music shapes every aspect of, of my life, but, uh, certainly how I think, think about drug development, you have to be, um, nimble, agile, and creative every step of the way. Uh, but also in terms of leadership and thinking about how to build a company, it's not that different from building a band uh, or an orchestra, but more a band like a jazz band or an Indian classical band, because um, you want everyone to be creative and be their best selves. And you want to hire people who are better at you at what they do. So I'm not a guitarist, but I want to hire the best guitarist in the world who can inspire me. And then the beauty of, Being in a a very good band, which I've had the uh, pleasure of being in, some very good bands, is that when you're sitting on stage, you've you've hired the best people in the world around you. Sometimes you don't have to do anything; you just you're you're just in the moment, in the experience, and you know that it's just working. And um, sometimes that happens with our leadership team, or or leadership team aside, with with smaller teams within the company, whether they're working on a manufacturing process or a, a clinical endpoint or an assay or a financial analysis. Uh, you see the band just coming together and I know it it works. So um you know I, I probably learn more about um, teams by being in a band than any amount of training that one can get in the industry.
0: That's great. So you're currently in a band. Yes. That's I'm wonderful. I'm in a band, yes. Share the name of your band with us?
1: So are yeah, so, you Yeah, so uh the name the name of the band is Falu, um, and um F-A-L-U. And, um, yeah, we actually just got our second Grammy nomination. I should, I should throw that in there not to, uh, open up another, uh, discussion, but, uh, we can pick up on that point next time. I'll send you the link F-A-L-U. So,
0: yeah. So you are developing curative gene therapies and you're a Grammy nominated musician. That's, um, that's a first for selling gene the podcast. So this is great. <laughs>
1: I think it's all one and the same. I think all of these um, forms, whether it's art or science, are all, they're integrated. So I, I would agree.
0: All right, listeners, that wraps up our time for this episode on Cell and Gene, the podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Gaurav Shah of Rocket Pharmaceuticals. And thank you to the listener for tuning in. Uh, we will talk to you next time.